Friends, it is a joy to be together with you this morning. Thank you for responding to God's call. It's hard for us to remember that we do come into this place of worship, not just out of our own whimsy or our own volition, but out of a calling that God extends to us each and every day to be in God's presence, to know God's face, to be embraced by God's arms. Friends, thank you for being here and for responding to that calling to be in God's presence. Today, we're going to jump straight into scripture. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. This is the story of the calling of David, how David came to be the king eventually by way of many different routes. But it all starts here in this humble moment with uh, a whole bunch of people who are scared and terrified and confused and with a boy who was better at hanging out with sheep than he was at hanging out with people. So let's jump in verse one in chapter 16, all the way through 13. We start with the prophet Samuel, the last judge. The Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? You'll remember that Samuel was the one who had also ordained Saul several years before. God says, fill your horn with oil, Samuel, and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said to God, how can I go? If God hears about it, he will, <laughs> if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. What he's saying there is go to Bethlehem and just say you're, you're holding a worship service. That's what he's saying. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, to the worship service, and I will show you what to do then. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When Samuel arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? Because remember, prophets don't always have positive things to say. That's why they got killed all the time. <laughs> yes, I come in peace, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? Like it's not enough. <laughs> They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He, the son, was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day 
on, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. And then Samuel went to Ramah. Friends, if you will, please join your spirits with mine as we pray. God of light and God of hope, we are grateful that no matter how we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're quietly thinking, you still call us to be in your presence. You still ask for us to spend time with you and to give to you the best of what we are and all of what we are, even when it's not our best. We pray, God, that as we look at your scriptures this morning, that you, through the work of your spirit, will teach us your truth, that we might know more clearly today how you move and who you are calling us to be than we did yesterday. We pray, God, that even though we are imperfect, we get distracted, we get tongue-tied, we wander in our mind and thought, Lord, we pray that even though we are not perfect, that you will use our imperfections to teach us more of your heart, more of your face, and more of who you ask us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my friends, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series that we began at the start of the year, the second week of January or so, considering together with fresh eyes two things in particular. Number one, considering how God is calling, how God is is calling each of us here to be an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world, which is to say, to consider anew how we are being called to enact God's values in our lives now. Not waiting to heaven to enacting God's values, but doing it here. That's the first thing that we're being called to consider. And the second thing that we're being called to consider is how we are being asked by God to maneuver together as one faith community that is united by this location and this time and this place as one diverse body of faith. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at how we are being called by God as individuals and as a community and how God's calling is unique to us amid all of the many voices and obligations that shape our lives. Okay, so that's been the last six weeks. We got a few more weeks. We're going to be in this until the start of Lent, which comes at the start of March. So focus, we only have a little bit more to go. All right. I think it's really important for us to remind ourselves that we know by faith through scripture and through the spirit that God has actually called every single one of us. God's call is not reserved for the few. God's call is not reserved for the religious professionals. It's not reserved for just people who are of influence and power. The book of Peter reminds us in 1 Peter that we are called to be God's people and therefore by that calling we are designated as a royal priesthood. That just means that each and every one of us has access to God right directly. We don't have to go through another priest. We have been given access through Jesus Christ. So we are a royal priesthood. And then Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians that each of us is called to exercise our priesthood as being part of a unified body. No one gets to be a rogue agent. There's no mavericks in the body of Christ. We are all called as necessary components 
of the body of Christ that is operating here on earth. So we know this through scripture that we are called as individuals and that we are called as a body. And I think it's important just to pause on that for a second, my friends, because I know that sometimes these truths can be too easy for us to forget, can be too easy for us to forget. When we are stuck in the carpool or when we're wrapped up in our travel schedule or when we are being consumed by the deadlines and the doctor's appointments, we can forget the truth. And so I think it's important for us to just stop and to remind ourselves and to breathe in that we are all called without exception. God beckons to each and every one of us by name. No one will be passed over. No one will be forgotten. Ready to breathe in? Here we go. All right. Good. So, all of that. That's why we've been looking over the last few weeks at calling and what it means to be called one of the people who is called, as God has called throughout time, reflecting together on some of those biggest names in the Bible. How is it that God has called those people? Because if we can think about how God has called those people, then maybe we'll get clarity on what it means to be called by God ourselves. So we've looked at people like Moses, who was this outsider. He was an unaccompanied immigrant child who also was adopted by this country of Egypt, who then murdered a man and then fled that country that had adopted him because he was a murderer, to only then be called back into Egypt to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery and into life to the full. That's a pretty crazy calling, yes? Yeah? Yes? Oh, good. People then like Abraham and Sarah, who at the, even by scripture's own writing, they were too average to take anything of note. Nothing's really recorded of them before that moment that they were called. They hadn't done anything special. Besides, they were old. So they had said, well, you know what? We're too old to do anything like that, which then made them cynical, right? Because God's not going to do anything with them. They're too old and average. And yet it was for them that they were to father and to birth nations of people. And then we looked at people like Esther, who was just an orphan who had hit the jackpot, queen, yes. <laughs> and all she had to do to keep her life going great was to keep the boat steady, just to make that easy life happen. She already arrived, she just had to keep it chill. And then here comes God's calling, as the first choice to bring justice to a corrupt government. That was Esther. Each of these people in scripture is called by God from a different set of circumstances, as a murderer, as an orphan, as people who are past their prime. And then it turned out that these things that they felt disqualified them from being designated as worthy in the eyes of the world, these things that disqualified them in the eyes of the world were the very things that God used to qualify them in their calling to display the values of the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
You may have heard it said before, and it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And so it is with us, my friends. We are all called. Lest we forget, we have the scriptures to remind us, we are all called. And as we see through scripture, we will all be qualified for our calling as we respond to it. Sorry, we don't get all the skills in advance. And so that's really our first point for this morning, is that God doesn't tend to replicate an exacting mold when God is calling humanity into partnership in ministry. How God has called someone before isn't necessarily how God will call someone again. And we see that truth through all of these diverse and unique stories that we were just reflecting on right now over the men and the women in scripture. But then we also see it's true for our scripture for today. So when we join in for our scripture for today, we see that God is talking to Samuel and he says this. He says, how long will you grieve over Saul? God says, I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Like, get over it already. And we might read the start of this scripture passage and think that it's sort of a throwaway comment. You know, I tend to read the Bible with a lot of sarcasm, which is not necessary. That's not like, I'm not encouraging you to do the same. I'm just saying that tends to be the first thing that I go to. I tend to read it with a lot of sarcasm and brush over stuff like that. But really what's happening here is that we are trying to be placed into this stage of Samuel's life right now. And there's two things that tell us that this is really important, that we shouldn't cruise past this. One is the word grieve, because in the Hebrew language, the word grieve is a really serious word. It's not something that was thrown around lightly, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die if I don't get a slice of pizza. No one said that, right? It's death, grieving, oh, I, you know, my heart was broken, my fingernail chipped. That's not the kind of grief that Hebrew words for grief mean. In Hebrew, the word grieve was used only to describe the grieving after death. It wasn't like they were grieving over the parking space that was snaked from in front of them, or even that they were grieving about some sort of dream that had been deferred. The Israelites grieved over death, and that word grief triggered something very specific, a process of ashes and fasting and burlap. It was a very visible word, grief. So what's unique about this situation, when God is telling Samuel to stop grieving, that gives you an idea of what Samuel's doing, right? Of how he's dressing, of what he's behaving like. What's unique about this situation is that Saul, who is the one that Samuel is still grieving over, he's still alive. He's not dead yet. And so what the scripture writer is doing here is setting us down right in the middle of this scene that is surrounded by immense disappointment and confusion and turmoil. That Samuel and no doubt the whole nation of Israel, because scripture says that everyone's scared when they see Samuel, right? Samuel and the whole nation of Israel is experiencing this disappointment and confusion and turmoil over Saul's failures as a king. And it could be argued that Samuel, no doubt, felt this disappointment the greatest 
because he was the one who had facilitated Saul's calling. He was the one who had made Saul the king, just like he's the one who is being asked to facilitate David's ordination as king right now. And then that's the second reason why this opening sentence is really important for us to take note of, because it also alerts us that in the midst of this disappointment and in the midst of this fear and confusion, Saul is pointing out that Samuel is still the same guy to ordain the first two kings of Israel. That's really unique. No one else did that. That's just Samuel. He was the last judge. He ordained Saul. He retained his power. He ordains David. And that's his whole life. It's really unusual in this scenario, and it's not something that we're going to see replicated elsewhere. And so it gives us some insight into how Samuel might be thinking about this second ordination, right? This isn't his first rodeo. He knows how to do this. He knows what's going to happen first time around. God had him ordain this tall, strong, handsome military man. No doubt it's going to be similar the second time around, right? Easy peasy. Done. Let's jump back into scripture. So when Jesse's sons came, Samuel looked at the oldest, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But then the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in at the heart. Ha! So you see? It's right there. That same theme that we have been talking about from the very start, our first point. It's echoed here, just like it has been all throughout scripture. The way that God has called people before is not necessarily the way that God is going to call people in the future. God called Saul because he was beautiful and strong and militarily gifted. And yet that didn't work out so well. And God changed plans. The way that God has called us before is not necessarily the way God has called us in the future, will call us in the future. You might have gotten a military man the first time, but you're getting a shepherd boy the second time. So that's point number one. Let's keep on moving. We're going to go on with our scripture. So it says that after God has rejected Eliab, Jesse has called Abinadab and made him pass before Saul. And Samuel says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And then Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And what do we know about repetition in scripture? When scripture repeats itself, what's it trying to get us to do? Pay attention. Left side, you get extra points today. So there's something here that we need to pay attention to. Not entirely sure what it is yet. We'll probably see it later on. So Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel says to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Are all of your sons here? Jesse's like, well, there's that young one. You know, he's always with the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, bring him in here. And we're not going to go anywhere until I get to see this kid. And then David gets there and he's ruddy and he has beautiful eyes and he's handsome. And the Lord says, rise and anoint him before he is the one. And so friends, our second point is a really simple point. God chose David even before David was there. God chose David even when David was absent. And it's a simple point, but it's an important one because sometimes we can convince ourselves that we will be passed over by God 
if we aren't, aren't exactly in the right moment at exactly the right time. Sometimes we can get lost in wondering about the what ifs and the had I just been's. What if I had decided to take this job instead of that? What if I had just been a bit quicker or a bit smarter? What if I had just been able to see this coming down the road? But as we see here, those things do not determine, nor do they deter our call from God. God's calling on David's life was not going to be deterred by Jesse thinking that David was too unimportant to be called in from the field. And God's calling on David's life wasn't going to be deterred by his small size, by his lack of military experience, or by his youthful naivete. God's calling on David's life was not going to be deterred by anyone's lack of imagination, like Samuel's, or by anyone's disbelief, like Samuel and Jesse and all of his brothers as they stood there and watched him be ordained. God called David when David wasn't even there. And there's nothing, friends, that could have stopped God's calling on him, just like there is nothing that can stop God's beckoning to us, not even our lack of presence. Sorry. So point number one, how God is called before isn't necessarily how God will call again. Point number two, God called David even when David wasn't there. And so there's nothing that will stop God's beckoning to David or to us. So here's our third and final point, And we're going to go right back to scripture for this one. You might have picked up perhaps as we were listening that there were a lot of uh, mentions on seeing and sight. Did you guys pick up on that as we were going through? Do you remember our uh, repetition? Yeah. Do you remember now that there was seeing and sight in that repetition? Oh, good. So there's all of this repetition on seeing and sight. And in verse seven alone, that same Hebrew word, this, the very same Hebrew word for see occurs five times in one verse. People see the outside, God sees the heart. And then there's this whole moment where David's brothers are passing in front of Samuel. And as Samuel sees each and every one of them, and God is rejecting them. And then scripture makes this point to note that David's eyes were beautiful, which I always thought was weird. I don't know. <laughs> that he was ruddy and yet beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and then there's all of this emphasis ongoing about sight and seeing and eyes. So there's also this interesting play of sight that's happening at the start of the passage that isn't as easy for us to see. Because when we look at the more strict translation of the Hebrew, God says at the start of our passage, he says, I have provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And interesting, interestingly, that word, the Hebrew word for provided is the same word as see. So in other words, it's like God is saying, God has seen to it that a king will be provided for Israel. So we have all of a sudden this contrast between how people see and how God sees. And when people see, they misidentify. And when God sees, God provides. So yet again, this word see becomes really, really important because we start to learn as one commentator words it, that God has seen the people's need even before they are aware of it. 
And as we have seen God do in other passages in scripture, God was again venturing out ahead of the people, authoring the scroll of their story before it had yet to be unrolled. I love that. I think this is so important for us to remember, my friends, and I will tell you exactly why. It has to do with our human nature. We, as humans, can take on this calling, this attitude about our calling that puts us like the Lone Ranger, right? We're going to go out there. We're going to stick our neck out there. We're going to go into the wilderness alone. We're going to ride off into the sunset on our horse. We sometimes take this attitude about our calling Like we are going to be called out of God's sight. And that's just not the case. We can't ride off into the sunset. We cannot escape God's sight. God sees us. The scroll has already been written before it's unrolled. We cannot escape our calling. And in our calling, we cannot escape God's presence. The other thing that's interesting about this word see in this particular story is if you look at it, humanity, the people in this story, namely Jesse and Samuel, never, ever, ever see correctly. Ever. Jesse doesn't see that his, one of his sons is missing, or if he sees, he doesn't care. He hasn't judged it, right? And Samuel, he only perceives correctly, not by seeing, but by listening So if Samuel had relied upon his sight, who would be king? Who? Yeah, Eliab, the oldest. And we know how God felt about that, right? He was mad. I rejected that guy. What are you doing? Every single time that sight is mentioned in terms of our humanity, we see that humanity never sees things well. And this is so important for us to note that no one sees things well because we as humans take such pride in our ability to correctly see and perceive and act. We have a term for it, seeing is believing, right? We love thinking that when we see something, we know it's true and it is undeniable. And that's just not the case. God is much less interested in how well we see Turns out God has no confidence in how we see things at all. Doesn't really matter because God's not showing us what we need to see. God's telling us what we need to hear. And God is way more interested in knowing how well we listen than how well we see. God is much more interested in knowing if we can listen to God, particularly in those moments when what we see doesn't make sense to us. So there we go. Three points. How, call, how God called Saul is not the same as how God called David. And that means that how God has called before doesn't necessarily mean how God's going to call again. Number two, David was absent when God was calling him, which means that nothing can stand in the way of us being called by God, not even our lack of presence. And number three, Samuel doesn't see anything correctly, which God knows. And as a result, God is more interested in the, how well we listen than how well we rely upon what we see. As we consider how we are being called today, and as we take just a few moments to reflect on the sermon and reflect on our prayers and how God is beckoning to us, 
I invite you to join me in wondering, how is it that God might be calling us? Where are the places that we think that we can escape God's sight or we fear we might be lost sight of by God? And how can we improve how we listen, particularly in the midst of the chaotic lives that we lead? Please join me as we reflect together.